0: Brother Vaughn, let's stand and take our Bibles, please. The book of Joshua, chapter 17. The book of Joshua, chapter 17. Members, if you look around you, if there's a, someone around you that doesn't have a Bible, or maybe they don't have a King James Version translation, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them? Joshua 17, and when you get there, go to verse 14. If you're new to the Christian faith, if you find Genesis, it's five books after Genesis there. Exodus, the Viticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, sixth book of the Old Testament. I want to encourage you while you're doing that to be mindful of the the special uh, music presentation. will be next Sunday night, the 16th, and we're looking forward to our choir, orchestra, and. Uh, a, ensemble, a group that's coming down from Falls Baptist Church in Wisconsin. Of just doing a great presentation. It's an opportunity for you to invite people that you know to the church that night. And let's just fill it up with visitors and guests. And the gospel we preach, just a great outreach opportunity. And just encourage our hearts. It will begin Friday night. Brother Van Gelder will be here Friday night. And uh, we'll, they'll have some special music on Friday night here, right here in the, in the Heritage Center. And then following by that, he'll give us a challenge about why music matters. And then Sunday morning, they'll be part of our special music. And they'll be preaching. In our different classes, and then Sunday evening will be the, the, big, the big deal there, so you come for that. All right, Joshua 17. Let's do this. Uh, let's read the verses together. I'll read the even number verse beginning with verse 14. Congregation, you read the odd number verse. Can you do that with me? All right. And the children of Joshua spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as much as the Lord has blessed me hitherto? Congregation? And Joshua answered them, And the giants be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Besharin and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. Congregation. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, But the mountain shall be thine, for it is wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the the, uh, Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. I purposely did not have you read verse 13. Look at verse 13 now with me. Yet it came to pass, when the children of Israel were waxing strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute. And notice the last phrase: "But did not utterly drive them out." you ever received an inheritance? You know anybody's ever received an inheritance? The save was substantial. What did that inheritance do for you? What did it do to you? This morning we're going to look at three chapters condensed into one simple message. Look at the impact of an inheritance that God gave to his people. For some of them, like Joshua and Caleb, they waited 45 years for that moment. I want to preach a message this morning. I pray that you'd listen and let the Lord speak to your heart. A message entitled, The Silent Killer. This word has got to do with inheritance. You'll see. This morning, let's get into the Scriptures as we do our study in the book of Joshua. And let's have the Holy Spirit speak to us. Now, Father, thank you today that the Word of God is eternal. We thank you that forever, O Lord, it is settled in heaven. We thank you this morning that thy word is truth. Sanctify thy people through thy truth. We thank you this morning that the word of God is a fire. It's a hammer. It's a sword. It's honey. Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And Father, today, we need your word to be a surgical uh, knife, a sword if we would, to pierce and penetrate To cut through layers of hardness. To cut away at things we don't want to know about. And love us through your word. Love us, Lord, through the principles that are found in the scriptures. And thank you that, Lord, you knew in the providence of God, even before the preparation of this week's message, you knew exactly what we needed for September 9th. Father, meet with us today so that when we leave today, we give you the honor and the praise and the glory for everything said and done. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. You may be seated. How many of you, maybe our medical professionals know, so don't raise your hand. But how many of you are familiar with the, the, uh, the acronym of the letters DVT, Deep Vein Thrombosis? They say that up to 200,000 people per year, maybe more than that, are diagnosed with DVT, deep vein thrombosis. Deep vein thrombosis is when the blood in a person's leg starts to pool and is not circulating very well. And the end result is that, and it can happen while you're in a plane flight, if you just sit stationary in a plane flight for a long period of time and don't move around. But it happens where the blood just starts to clot inside their legs. And if it's not dealt with very quickly, if that blood clot comes loose, it can start traveling through the major veins and arteries of your body and wind up lodging itself to where you could have a stroke or respiratory failure if it winds up in your lung. And the tragic thing about DVT, it's not caused because someone was irresponsible in their behavior. It wasn't caused because someone was running a race. It wasn't caused because someone was doing jumping jacks. It wasn't caused because somebody walked from 2950 Merced Street to come over to the church side of 2960 Merced Street. It was caused because someone just sat there in a chair for a long period of time and forgot to get up and didn't realize that they needed to get up periodically to get the circulation moving in their legs. And medical professors call DVT or deep vein thrombosis the silent killer. Because as you sit there and it just the blood starts to pull in your legs and the circulation is not very good, you don't realize what's going on there and you don't feel anything happening but when the blood clot starts to flow through your body. If it lodges itself in a lung, lodges itself up here in our brain, it could lead to respiratory failure or major stroke. Why don't you notice our passage this morning. It's on the heels of last week's encouragement about Caleb. If you're 80 years old, Caleb should be your hero, amen? 85 years of age. Went and claimed a mountain. He said, I'm never going to grow old. He said, Moses, he said, he said, Joshua, I'm as strong today as I was at 40. And he waited with anticipation for 45 years to claim that inheritance. In fact, before Joshua even began to divvy up the inheritance, which began with the tribe of Judah. And then went, as we'll see in chapters 16 and 17, the tribe of Joseph, which consisted of Manasseh and Ephraim. Before Joshua even did that, this man, Caleb, was so anxious to get his inheritance, he came to Joshua because they were best of friends. They were bosom buddies. They had the same convictions. They had the same mind about God. I think if you put the two men together, their praying was very similar. And they were very close in age to one another. The caliph said, Oh, remember those words when Moses told us, you're going to get this mountain? He said, up Hebron here, there's a, there's a city here called Arba. And he says, the sons of Anak live up there and there are giants up there. But that doesn't bother me because I remember those giants. I saw those giants back 45 years before. And I told Moses, he said, let us go up once to possess it, for we are well able to possess it. And he says, I still believe today that I'm well able to possess it. And we're going to go claim that. He said, let me have that mountain, Moses. Let me have that mountain, Joshua. And Caleb claimed it. On the heels of that is the people watch Caleb receive his inheritance. As maybe the people were a little bit filled with trepidation and fear and consternation because of the giant. They saw this older man, 85 years of age, going forward like a 21 year old man with enthusiasm and fire and vigor and desire and diligence and leading the tribe of Judah and conquering that, that land, that area of, 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 uh, of Arba that area of Hebron he claiming it as his own and then watching later on as he inspired a younger generation to take more other more cities Kerjath- jerom and other places like that and gave them springs of water i mean the entire nation of Israel that was there is being inspired by the actions of Caleb we get to chapter 15 16 and 17 and Joshua starting the process of giving up the inheritance we notice as the inheritance is given out. You notice in verse 13 is one of three, maybe four times. They were told this interesting insight about the receiving of the inheritance. As soon as he got the inheritance. It said they could not. It said they would not. And Israel didn't realize it, as we'll see this morning, but they didn't realize that. These two tribes, Judah and Joseph, are committing a very serious shortcoming. The shortcoming happens to you. The shortcoming happens to me. Invariably, it may have happened to you this week as it happened to me this week. Invariably, it may be happening right now. It's going to extend it for a long period of time. Where you've made the conquerings and you've had the victories and you've climbed some mountains and you're running the race. But now you're kicking back a little because you've read your Bible several times through. And you have a decent prayer time. You're in church beyond Sunday morning and you're here Sunday night and you're back here Wednesday night and you're memorizing scripture and all those things. But you've got the place where things that used to move you don't move you like before the silent killer we're going to see this morning is known as one word. Would you write this down? It's known as the word complacency. Complacency. Complacency is the silent killer. The Christian faith. The body of Christ, the local New Testament church. I want you to see three things this morning because of time about this passage of Scripture. I pray it will be encouragement and help in building you and me up. Number one, would you notice the portions? Nine and a half tribes are waiting for their inheritance. Two and a half, Reuben, Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh. If you go back to the book of Numbers... They wanted their inheritance on the eastern side of Jordan. Remember when they crossed over, they went over to the western side. And these two and a half tribes, they wanted their inheritance, they stand on that side, and Joshua came and says, you can have your inheritance, but, he said, you need to come help the rest of us do the conquering, we need to get through Jericho, we need to take care of Ai, we need to take care of the 29 other cities that God wants us to take care of, and they did help them, and we read later on in chapter 14, those two and a half tribes went back across to Jordan, went back to the other side, and claimed their inheritance, were told all the cities and locations that they were given now, the inheritance was when each one of these different tribes would get, would get the portion of land, the cities and the areas that the Bible says or Joshua said that they received. An inheritance, you might want to write this down, an inheritance is the receipt of something important or valuable, It's something that is passed down to you. It could be monetary in nature. It could be financial in nature. It could be sentimental in nature. It may not even be anything monetary. It just might be something passed down to you. But it's something that is given to you. You're an heir of something from somebody else. And we notice here that the inheritance God wanted to give to Israel was land. It was cities. It was an area that God frequently described as an area that flowed with milk and honey. The description. Milk and honey means it was a fruitful area. The land was fertile. Soil was fertile. It got good rain. It was a good area in terms of just the weather climate. It was good in terms of the crops who would grow. It was considered a very, very good area. And inheritance is something that you have a claim on. In Joshua 13, Joshua starts divvying it up, as we said, to the two and a half tribes. Now we get to 15, 16, 17. And he's making this inheritance. He's divvying it up. We start with the tribe of Judah. Go back for just a quick moment. In chapter 15, we have detailed information here. In fact, it consumes Oh, about 40, 63 verses of scripture here that deals with the with the divvying up of the land area that was given to Judah. Notice some things about these portions. We'll look at Judah and then we're going to look at Ephraim and Manasseh's. They got theirs in chapter six, uh, chapter 16 and 17. Would you notice some things? Number one, as we look at these portions, would you notice these portions were fought for? They had to fight their way to get there at this inheritance. It didn't come as an easy easy hand-me-down. It was something that was fought for. They had to fight for Jericho. They had to fight through Jericho. They had to fight through Ai. They had to fight their way through thirty-one other cities. None of this came easy. There were battles they had to fight in order to acquire it. And after there were battles to fight, there were sleepless nights. There were mountains to climb. There were valleys they went through. There were hot days and there were cold days. There were giants they had to conquer in spite of all these things they fought and won there were battles they had to fight and win if you ever get a chance to look on the internet Dr. Curtis Hudson preached a great message many many years ago entitled Battles and Blessings and he talked about the Christian faith that the Christian life is one that we must fight through there are things we have to fight for and fight through you see the Christian life is a life of battles we have to fight many battles against Satan the world and the flesh invariably this morning you fought with the devil and you fought the flesh and you fought with the world. Now, this week you did the same thing there. Uh, we have to battle with temptation so that we can claim a crown of life. James 1.12. We have to fight with battle with our flesh so we can claim an incorruptible crown. First Corinthians 9 verses 24 to 25. Paul talked about having to fight with false teachers. He describes it in Corinthians. He fought with the beasts that were in Ephesus. He's talking about the false teachers that opposed him. We have to fight with our personal giants so that our faith can grow. Come back tonight as we preach a message about the call for giant killers. We're going to look in 2 Samuel chapter 21 as there were some successors to David who were called to be giant killers. We have to fight with our personal struggles. We have to fight with anxiety. We have to fight with traffic. We have to fight with our worries. There are battles we have to fight with in our Christian life. We have to battle with weaknesses so that we can experience God's grace being made profitable and strong in us. We have to battle with prayerlessness so we can claim by faith what God wants to have. Listen, that area that they went was an area they fought for. Several years had gone by. They'd been fighting battles. They'd been fighting the giants. They were fighting the enemy of the land. They looked intimidating, but they went forward, and they went forward in the power and the grace of God, and they had to fight those battles. Listen, if nobody ever told you this, then when you became a Christian, you found out very quickly that the Christian life was not a walk through the park. The Christian life is a difficult life. The Christian life is a life of battles. Satan attacks you every morning. He attacks you in your thinking. He attacks you through temptation temptation. He attacks you in your weaknesses. He attacks us all the time. He takes good people, makes them enemies instead of making them allies with each other. We're fighting battles. We're fighting with temptation. We're fighting with weaknesses. We're fighting with all of these things that go on in our life. The Christian life is one that we must fight for. We must fight to be victorious. We must fight to be ahead. No wonder uh, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And we're to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The portions they received were portions that were fought for. But notice something else. The portions they received were not only fought for. These portions they received were far reaching. It's amazing. you Read Joshua 15, Joshua 16. They didn't just receive a plot of land. They just didn't receive a plot with just one house on it. They didn't just receive one acre... I mean, you read this passage of Scripture, it thrills your heart to read. They were given territory that was northwards and southwards and to the coastline westward and all the way even to the Jordan River and eastern. I mean, all the area they conquered, every one of those tribes was given a very extensive plot of land. If you go back and read through Numbers, we read in Numbers about the census population that God gave us for all twelve of the tribe. And there were large numbers of people. There were five figures in size and some even six figures in size. And each of them claimed their inheritance. It was given. They fought for it, but it was portions that were given to them that were that was that was just, that, that covered a large, massive area. It was far-reaching. It was an area they, that traveled for many miles. And what God gave them was something that they could look at. There was room to grow. They had room for their crops. They had room for their for their livestock. They had room to grow things. They had room to build their homes. I mean, it was far-reaching. God gave something to everyone. It wasn't close and it wasn't restricted. And It wasn't narrow. It was something that was far-reaching. May I remind you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you got saved, you got saved into something that was far-reaching. The Bible says we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hey, beloved, what God has given to you and I as we read through the Bible, the Word of God, and we walk this walk of faith, and as we claim things by prayer, we have to realize what God has given to us is not something small. God has given to you and I something that is big. Read through the book of Ephesians, and we read about the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. He talked about the riches of His grace. He talked about the riches of His glory. He talked about the riches of God. Hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God should supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Don't tell God that you're a pauper. And don't tell God that you don't have opportunity. And don't tell God that God is not not fair. And don't tell God that God doesn't give you something. I want to tell you this morning that what God gave to Joshua and God gave to Moses, and God gave to Paul, and God gives to Helen Fong. God gives to every one of us through the Word of God today. Remind you this morning that the promises for prayer were not restricted to Jeremiah when he said, Call to me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I want to tell you this morning when Paul went on that endeavor in his first missionary journey, and his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey, he went out like you and me. He went out with fear, he went out with a little bit of trepidation, he wasn't sure what to expect. But listen, he had the the abundance and the greatness of the Spirit of God and the power of God. And I'm gonna tell you today, the Spirit's enablement and the Spirit's filling is not reserved for a John R. Rice. It's not reserved for an Arby Ouellette. It's not reserved for a Paul Temple. It's not reserved for a Jack Trever. It's not reserved for some man for some time. Let me tell you today, God's power and His Spirit is available for every one of His people to claim today. Oh, man, it was far-reaching. There were some things that God gave them that was so wonderful. I want to tell you today, you are not limited to the crawl space of a house. God gives us much land to possess. He said, every place that the soul of your foot should tread upon, that have I given you. I want to encourage you this morning, why don't you leave church today? And why don't you start walking outside and say, Lord, I want to claim some places. Why don't you be daring to say, Lord, I want to claim my neighborhood for Jesus Christ. I want to walk some neighborhoods. I want to walk some blocks. I want to claim some people for Jesus Christ. Why don't you say this morning, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to make a list of people when I leave church today. got our relatives and friends and neighbors and co-workers and people and I'm going to claim today that every place that my soul and foot should tread upon. I'm going to claim those people today that God will give me those people to come to church this coming Sunday night, September 16th for the great evangelistic music presentation that they would hear the word of God through song and they would hear the word of God through preaching and they would respond to the word of God and say, God I want to see my friends saved. Oh listen today, don't be someone that thinks you've just got a little crawl space. I mean, don't be someone just think that the area that God's given you is just respective to where you stand Listen, God is giving you not more than all of that for us to claim today God said, I'm the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt Open thy mouth wide and I shall fill it Call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not I reminded today, God said, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? But those far reaching, we have to go through some valleys to get there. We have to fight some giants to get there. One of our church members asked my wife and I to visit an acquaintance of theirs. And this person we went to see, I had not met them before, but was told they're battling cancer. Went to the house the other day and visited with them. The daughter said, oh, Pastor Farr, I'm glad you came. And this lady came out and I don't know how to describe it, but you know, there's just some people, they have a, their smile just kind of lightens up, brightens up the whole room. You know what I'm saying? My wife and I were standing there, this lady walks out and a little weak, but she has just a smile on her face and her smile just brightened the room. Stage 4 cancer. Some major organs. So they're talking about the Lord. The lady decided, I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to take life one day at a time and I'm going to enjoy it. So her daughter came in and out and was listening to us dialoguing with her mother before I could even ask her where she go to church, she says, where's your church at? I want to come to your church. You gave my mother hope. I'm going to tell you this morning, when you realize what God gives us, He gives us hope. He gives us encouragement. He gives us His Son. He gives us enablement so we can get through the day. Israel was taking possessions that they were, that, 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 and and they were bringing God into that domain. They're going to an area that was once previously pagan. They're going to an area that once had idol worship. They're going to areas where once they were burning babies in the fire and God's people were coming in and changing all that. They were going to an area and instead of temples where, that were places where altars were made, they were worshiping false gods. One altar was made and that would be the worship of the living God. And pagan, pagan worship was being removed and idol worship was being removed and things were changing around them and they were possessing the land. Hey, it was far-reaching. Listen, an influence, a godly influence was coming to that land of Canaan that had previously been inhabited by giants and idol worshipers. Now it's being inhabited by the people of God. Hey, that's why missions and soul winning and church planting is important because we're trying to change a city. We're trying to change an area. We're not going to change it with our personality. We're not going to change it with humanitarian programs. It's going to get changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. Christ but notice this area was not only fought for and far reaching but you notice this area was a favorable area but you notice know, something very interesting as we read chapters 15, 16, and 17 about these portions it was the gift of God God gave it to them now they had to fight for it but it was the gift of God and we must remind ourselves today, there's nobody here in this room that's a self made Christian. You're spirit made. You go into a the factory of God, which is His Word, and you come out of that factory, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you're living for God. He is the one who makes us to what we should be. It was favored land. God gave Caleb, the mountain. God gave Judah an extensive place of land. God gave Ephraim and Manasseh an extensive place of land. He gave them cities to dwell in so they could make a life. He gave them land that was fertile they could grow their crops. For the first time in their lives, they're not under bondage. They're not wandering around in the desert. They're not living out in the sand where you can grow nothing except cactus in the sand. Amen. No man, they're in a the place for the first time, and some of them were wondering. I wish my daddy was alive to see this, and I wish my mother was alive to see this for the first time. Those who inherited the land, they came to a the place. They said, "Whoa, this is the place God said He'd give us—a land flowing with milk and honey." Then we're here, and a man would turn to his wife and say, "Honey, we're here," and she turned her husband and say, "We're here." And they'd look at their kids and say, "We're here. We've arrived at the place that God said He'd give us. We have cities, and we've got land, and we've got possessions, and we've got we've got a place for our lives. We've got a place to grow, and God's all over us." It was a Favorable possession that God was giving to them. Read your Bible and realize the promises of the Bible. They're favorable. Read your Bible and realize that the blessing of the Lord it maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it. Read your Bible and realize that we are heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Read your Bible and realize that we are heirs of the riches of His grace and heirs of the riches of His glory. I'm just saying this morning, we see the portion, they received much and they were blessed and they had to fight for along the way, but God gave them extensive area. And I remind you today, as we look at these portions, don't say that God is not fair. God is more than fair to you and me. We see the portion, but you notice the second thing this morning. Would you notice the pause? Three times we see something that is a little bit troubling to me. Notice chapter 15, verse 63, would you? Congregation, would you read that to me, please? Let's read together. Chapter 15, verse 63. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Judah at Jerusalem under the same. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, stop, stop. stop. Wait a minute. But 13 chapters, they're driving people out. They're moving sin out of the land. And we get to chapter 15, verse 63, it says, The Jebusites were in that land, in that area of Jerusalem, and the children of Judah could not drive them out. They allowed the Jebusites to to dwell with them. And intermingle with them. But notice chapter 16, verse 10. And they drave not out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. There's something about that. Judah didn't drive out the Jebusites. Joseph didn't drive out the Canaanites. In both cases, they allowed those people to dwell with them. Look again at chapter 17, verses 12 and 13. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxing strong, they put the Canaanites to tribute, but they did not utterly drive them out. I want you to notice those words, and maybe you might want to go back and underline them. They said, we're told they could not. We're told they drove not out. We are told that they could not drive them out. It did not utterly drive them out. Listen, they these were Canaanites who were supposed to have been dealt with. These were Canaanites who, if they were allowed to stay in that land, allowed to cooperate with the, with the Jews, what would happen then is their influence would affect the Jews. And the Jews just said, well, you know what? I think we're at the place we fought all the battles we want to fight and the distributions are being made now and that's okay. They can stay there. We can tolerate them and we'll let them stay there. And they permit the Canaanites to dwell in the land. The battles had been fought. The threats had subsided. But Israel became lax. Israel no longer had the fight in them. Israel no longer had the edge about them. Israel no longer had the desire of accomplishing and conquering like they did before. The battling was done. The blessings were distributed. But there were still Canaanites in the land. They had not dealt with them, So they just said, where well, we couldn't drive them out. Could not means this. It means either that they didn't have the power. They didn't have the willpower. Or they didn't have the spiritual power. But there was no willingness and no power to drive them out. There was a loss of power. There was a loss of will. Notice as we read this passage of Scripture, especially chapter 17, verse 13, it says that the children of Israel, when they were whacked and strong, they put, they, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly dry them out. They said, here's what we'll do. We'll have them work for us, but we we'll make sure they don't work against us. They changed the whole description of what God wanted them to do. This became a situation where they got used to Canaanites and they got used to the Jebusites and they started to allow pagan worship to come back to the land and idol worship to be erected again and pagan practices to come back around them and they got to a place where instead of it being an abomination to them as God described in the book of Leviticus it became something that they were used to they became what we call complacent in their lives but you notice in these verses we just read that the silent killer was setting in Complacency is being at ease about your circumstances. And ignoring impending danger that might be near. Complacency comes when we reach a state of self-sufficiency. Complacency comes when we reach a stage of desensitization about what's going on. Complacency is living in a state of convenience. Complacency is when we say, let someone else do it. Certainly someone else will volunteer. Certainly someone else will fight the battle. Certainly someone else will give to the 1K offering. Certainly someone else will pay the bill so the church can keep going on. Because complacency is where we just said, let somebody else do it. Complacency is when you take the path of least resistance. Complacency is when there is no sense of urgency. Complacency is when we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Notice this morning we see the pause. Israel's on pause, if you would. They've put everything in pause. They're no longer in a fight mode. They're no longer in a battle mode. They're no longer in the acquisition mode. They've taken for granted the gifts of God. And they're saying, it's okay, let's let the Canaanites continue to dwell with us in this. Notice we see the disease of complacency. Tozer said this. Complacency is the deadly foe of all spiritual growth. It's a silent killer. It's a spiritual disease. It grows on us over time. Complacency is when we accept less than God's best. Complacency is just trying to get by because you're not concerned. It's when our fervor subsides. It's when there's no more desire to conquer and to fight and to acquire. It is when you lose the desire to pray. It is when we skip reading our Bible for long periods of time and it doesn't bother us anymore. It is when you have no desire to serve or there is no time to serve. It is when you substitute convenience for conviction. It is when you do less instead of doing more. They could not drive out the Canaanites because they were comfortable with the Canaanites. They were complacent. They became complacent when they should have been conquering. They became indifferent when they should have been industrious. They stopped when they should have been stirred. They became feeble when they should have been fervent. They became apathetic when they should have been ardent. Hey, listen, this morning the Bible has some very very stirring things that it says to us about this matter of being at ease and being complacent. Judges 18, verse 27, if you'll look at your notes, and they took the things which Micah had made, and the priests which he had, and he came unto Laish, notice this, unto people that were quiet and secure and they smote them with the edge of the sword, and burnt the city with fire. Notice that Isaiah chapter 32 verse 9, what the Lord had to say about the women. He said, Rise up ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Notice what the Lord says in Jeremiah 48 verse 11, what he had to say about the city, the, the country of Moab. Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his lees and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither has he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him and his scent has not changed. Hosea. Says, 1, the Bible says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Revelation 3.17 describes it this way, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And I'm saying this morning, complacency is a spiritual disease. It's a disease that grows on us. It's a disease that incrementally increases. And as it starts work its way, it, the symptoms are very evident. We lose our desire. We lose our passion. We're more non-involved. We don't have the fervency we had. We say, let the younger people do it. Or let the pastor do it. Or let somebody else do it. Or so when he's for somebody else. Or praying for somebody else. It's when we're not, we lack that concern that we would have had at one time. And we're no longer concerned. And it's when we get to the place, we realize that though the invitation is given, and though the Holy Spirit speaks, we're not the one that goes forward. We're not humble enough to go forward before God. Because it's somebody else's sin. It's somebody else's issue. It's not my sin. It's not my problem. It's somebody else's. It's a disease that creeps within. It's a Christian disease. It's a church disease. It is a spiritual disease that grips every person. We see the disease of complacency, but notice the danger in complacency. When there's complacency, we procrastinate and put off important decisions. Where there's complacency, the altars are empty. There's no stirring of the Spirit of God. Where there's complacency, we push off the responsibility, as I said to other people. Where there's complacency, we have forgotten the reality that there really is a hell. And sinners who die in their sins really do spend eternity in hell. Complacency sets in, we lose our zeal for serving. Do you know when there's complacency... There's minimal to no spiritual growth. There's little to no fruit for the Lord. There's a higher tolerance of sin than there is an intolerance of sin. There's a tendency to be more self-sufficient, less of a tendency to be God-sufficient. Would you notice, we look at those verses we looked at earlier, would you notice some thoughts about the danger in complacency? Complacency causes us to be negligent about the spiritual tax it might be looming. In Judges 18.27, we read about this city that was quiet and secure. was unwalled. was unguarded. They fell in this delusional idea, we'll never get attacked. We'll never have problems. No one will ever bother us, except on that day, the tribe of Dan came in and bothered them and took that city. The Bible says in, Jer- in Judges 18.27, it says, They smote them with the edge of the sword and burnt the city with fire. Complacency is a killer of faith and vision. Look what Job said in Job 21:23. One dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease, and quiet. Did you imagine that? We get the place when complacency sets in, we're at ease. We're quiet. We don't make a stir. It describes the person dies in his full strength. He's at his prime. He's at his best. But he's not complacency to be a silent killer. Notice he said complacency leads us to trust in the wrong things and wrong people. Hosea 6 1 Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria. Complacency is sin that makes our Lord Jesus sick to the stomach. Revelation 3 verses 14 to 17 we have the Lord Jesus Christ describing one of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And I realize as we study those seven churches, they speak about seven distinct church ages. But I believe they also speak about seven distinct characteristics of churches. And the church of Laodicea, this is what the Lord had to say. And unto the angel, or the pastor, if you would, of the church of the Laodiceans right? these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's Jesus speaking there. Jesus has come down, and Jesus is speaking to His church. He's speaking to the church at Laodicea. And by the way, the word Laodicea means the people rule. The people were at the place where they were saying, God, I don't need to hear from you anymore. We've got our church. We've got our blessings. We've got our possessions. We're at the place. We've been down the valley a little bit. And we've been Christian for five years and ten. 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and 40 years and 50 years. We've been Christian for a long period of time. We don't need any more. Jesus said, OK, you won't listen to the pastor at the church at, at, at Laodicea. I'm going to come down. And Jesus came down and he starts speaking to them and he acknowledged to them that he is the amen. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the beginning of the creation of God. And here's what Jesus said in verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. This is a kind of interesting. Jesus came down. He says, listen, the church is God's gift to you. And Your location is God's gift to you And what God is doing in your life is God's gift to you But you've gravitated to where you're at the place in life Where your description of yourself is I'm right in the middle I'm neutral I'm not cold I'm not hot And that describes our generation We're not cold We're not hot yeah, we'll do our church thing. We'll get to church on Sunday mornings. And if we, we feel up to, we'll come back on Sunday night. If we feel up to, we'll come back on Wednesday night. If we feel up to, we'll come to a special conference. That's if we feel like it. we're cold. We're not cold, but we're not hot either. And then Jesus says something else that's very interesting. Notice verse 16. He says, you're not cold or hot. So then the way I describe it, you're lukewarm. And as he's speaking to the church at Laodicea, he's talking about they were, they were between, they were in this tri-city area. You had Laodicea right here at the top, and you had Hierapolis on one end, and you had Colossae on the other end, and one of those cities, they, they pumped up cold water from the, the, water came from the springs, and the other one pumped up hot water, and as the two met and converged in Laodicea, the water was neither cold nor hot, the water was lukewarm. And the the people at Laodicea understood that, because if, if lukewarm water, for most people, lukewarm water or tepid water is not very tasty not very tolerable. And Jesus says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. And notice what Jesus said. His description of the church, he says, You know, I'll, I'll spew thee, or literally vomit you out of my mouth. It's distasteful. It makes you sick to the stomach. And he describes how this came about. This disease of complacency. Lukewarmness. Indifference. Because they're startled. He uses an analogy that was very familiar to them. He took something that was very real to home to them about how Hierapolis and how Colossi were pumping cold water and hot water up there and when it arrived and laid to sea was lukewarm water and they had to redo the water there and he says, because thou art neither cold nor hot, then thou art lukewarm. I will spew thee out of my mouth. He says, listen, it's not the kind of water I want. I want either hot or I want it cold. I can't have lukewarm water. He says, you got that way because of this. Notice verse 17. Because even in your own self-boasting, I'm rich, increased with goods, have needed nothing. I've got all I need. I've attained where I'm at in my career. I've gotten this substantial bonus. I've gotten these stock options. I've gotten these inheritances. I've had great gains in the market. All these things have happened. I am rich and increased with goods. I've needed nothing. I need a break. I don't need church. I need a vacation. I don't need to spend time with God. And then Jesus said this in verse 17. No, it's not. Not wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, materially, you're doing good. But spiritually, look what he describes, the very first word. Wretched and miserable. The joy is not there. The wonder of it all Has diminished. The peace is gone. You say you're rich, but really you're poor. He says you think you can see, but you're blind. You're blinded to the blessings. You're blinded to the grace of God. You're blinded to your condition. You don't want to hear. You don't want to know. You're wretched and poor, miserable and naked. But complacency has another bad thing. It leads us to trust the wrong things in people. The sin that makes Jesus sick to somebody. That, that's where Israel's at right now. That's where they're at. Just as they're possessing land. They got comfortable. Instead of saying, thank you, God, for this land, they said, well, that's my land. Here's my landmark. Landmarks, remember, I've preached this before. Landmarks, you don't move those stones. Don't move those rocks. Don't touch my rocks. It's my land. Don't tell me how to run my house, Lord. Don't tell me when I've got to follow the ceremonies, Lord. I'll do it when I'm ready, when I want to do it. Listen. Complacency about getting saved will send your soul to hell. Luke chapter 12 verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul thou was much goods laid up for many years. Notice this, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. There's a man, a rich man, talking to himself. He's built many barns. He's torn down one, made another one. Man, I'm doing well. My grain, my business is doing well. Man, I've had, I've had some consecutive bumper crops. Man, we're harvesting it out. Man, we've got more employees. Man, it's happening here. My profit margins are increasing. I've kept my expenses down. He said, man, I I don't know where I'm going to put all this additional grain that I've raised. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down one and build a bigger barn, and I'll do much with that. And then he looked at it one day. He looked at his accomplishments. He looked at everything he had. He totally forgot about God. He forgot God was the one who gives us the wealth to accumulate our wealth. And he said, so... That was done well. He says, so you've done very good. He says, he said to himself, that was much goods. He wasn't thinking about eternity. He was only thinking about retirement. That was much goods and laid up for many years. He says, he says, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Hey, you can take some time off. You don't have to get back into other things. You don't have to worry about the things you used to be involved with. He says, take that ease. But then God came along and made a abrupt statement to this man in verse 20 thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee then who shall those things be which thou hast provided we see the portions we see a pause they lost the will to fight they forgot the command of God they tolerated the Canaanites when God says that's not what you're supposed to do Notice chapter 17 and go back to verse 14. But you notice the prevention. Complacency is a silent killer. You don't know you have it. (laughs) Really. You don't know you have it. We look at these verses here. God was the one to say, hey, wake up. i got to tell you something. Kind of reminds me of the story of a man who went to see his doctor. He went to see his doctor because he wasn't able to do all the things around the house that he used to do. So the doctor, he said, Doctor, I need you to check me out. There are things I used to do I can't do them anymore. The doctor checked him out and did a thorough examination, did the blood test, all those things. And the man said, OK, Doc, you've done this thorough analysis. I've been here for over an hour. Doc, I can take it. Tell me what's wrong with me. Tell me right now. Tell me exactly what's wrong with me. He said, I'll tell you, sir, what's wrong with you. He says, very simply, you're just lazy, sir. And he thought for a minute, OK, Doc, now you tell me that. Give me the medical term for this, so I can tell my wife what I've got. Amen. Look at Genesis, I mean, Joshua 17, we're done. We get to verse 11 and Ephraim and Manasseh. They're called Joseph because Joseph had two sons. They're concerned. And they go to Joshua and there's someone complaining. They said in verse 14, Why hast thou given me but one lot? One portion inherit. Now, they, they, what they did was they amalgamated everything they had, and they called it one lot. One possession. And where every Manasseh was at, they were basically saying, you know, Joshua says like, we feel like we got very little. We're a great people. Notice what they said in verse 14. We're a great people. We're a large people. We're a blessed people. And I think when they're using the term great, they're talking about where where they came from they're, They they were you know that they, they, they traced their roots all the way back to Joseph and the blessing of Jacob upon Manasseh and, and Ephraim. And Manasseh means to uh, to forget and and Ephraim means fruitful and they're tracing all of them the blessings of God and, and this at part of Manasseh was the other half of Manasseh that was staying with the rest of them. And they're at this place where they're saying, Listen, we're a great people. They said, why is it that we only have one lot? Why is it that we only have one portion? And Joshua went to them and said, well, listen, you're, you are a great people. And he wasn't—he didn't, he didn't take this as an insult. He said, you are a great people. But he said, listen, you want more? You have to realize something. You've forgotten who gave you all this. You want more? You go up this hill country over here. And this hill country is very wooded. Get yourself an axe. Take an axe and exercise some faith and chop down some wood and make a path for yourself and claim more land. He says, you want more? It's right there. Go get it. Go claim it. But they didn't want to do that. Here's what they said they said in verse 16, the hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both they were of Bashiach and, and, and her towns, and they were of the valley of Jezreel. And they're saying, listen, we, you're telling us we can have that hill, and we've got to chop down some trees. But you've got to understand so there's some problems along the way. The Canaanites have chariots of iron, and we don't have chariots of iron. They've got advanced technology, and they stand in the way between us and God. But I like what Joshua said. He said, oh, but listen, you're a great people. You're a people that's great and blessed of God. Why don't you just no, notice he says in verse verse 17-18, uh, 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 he says, thou art great people. And he said, you have great power. Thou shalt not only have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Here's what's happening, Joseph, and we can sum it up. What's the prevention from complacency? He was telling them, listen, you've gotten to the place, you've forgotten that you have to fight your way to get here. And you've gotten to the place, you've been blinded to the blessings, and you've You've gone to the place you've forgotten that God was the blesser of all these things and yes you are great people because you're blessed people and by the way aren't you glad this morning there's a congregation God describes his congregation as a great congregation in the book of Psalms you're people blessed of God your people that God has caused His face to shine upon. Your people that God is saying, I'm approving, giving you my approval on what you're doing. I'll give you my approval upon, upon your church and the works of God. But He says, listen, you want more than that one lot? You want to claim more as life goes on? Then here's what you need to do. You go up to that mountain. And listen, you've got to go back and do what you used to do. You've got to exercise some faith. And you've got to chop down some trees. And you've got to clear a pathway. And you've got to claim that mountain for yourself. And you realize that you've got the blessing and you've got the power. I'm going to tell you this morning, brother and sister Christ, if we're going to overcome complacency, if we're going to get out of this complacency, we've got to always be at the place in our Christian life where we're exercising faith and we're cutting down some trees and we're going forward for God and we're setting some goals for our life and we're seeing people saved and getting lives restored and getting ourselves at the altar and renouncing our sins and confessing our sins and being fruitful in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to overcome complacency, we've got to do just like Joshua said. We've got to go up that mountain. We've got to climb some terrain. We've got to go up to the steepness. We've We've got to exercise ourselves. We've got to get to work and we've got to stay at it. He says, Yes, you're a great people. And I remind you this morning here at this Baptist church, we're a great people because we have a great God. But we need some people that are going to chop down some trees. We need some people not afraid to work we need some people that are not afraid to go win some souls we need some people not afraid to give to an offering and be obedient and tithing we need some people that are going to read their Bible through more than one time a year we need some people that will travel the terrain on their knees we need some people that be willing to go to the mission field and serve the Lord Jesus Christ on foreign soil I just say today we're going to have to cut down some trees that means we've got to exercise some effort and we've got to take the power that we have through the Holy Spirit of God and we've got to take the promises of the Word of God and we've got to undergird ourselves in prayer and we've got to go forward and say I'm not going to be the same As I was yesterday I'm going to be different I'm not content with one light I want to claim more than that one light So that God will help me to go on And do something great for His glory You're a great people Want to overcome complacency? Stay busy Stay busy Stay involved Maybe get involved Amen Keep working Keep exercising faith Get on board with the vision, amen? Fight some giants. You can't have David around for the rest of his life fighting the giants for you. You gotta fight your own giants. Do something nobody else has done. Do something that requires you to trust in God. Don't be content with one lot. There are more lots to conquer. Don't be like Joseph. They were being a crybaby. Oh, we just got one lot. Don't beg for handouts. Trust God and do something great for God. Dio Moody tells a story. In 1864, there was an eastern seaboard. There a series of bad storms that had come in. The storms were so bad, the harbor master told the fishermen of this particular village that was right on the, on the seacoast for an entire week, do not go out in those waters you'll perish in those storms. Saturday morning arrived and Monday they couldn't go out. Tuesday they couldn't go out. Wednesday they couldn't go out. Thursday they couldn't go out, Friday they couldn't go out Saturday morning, unlike the other days, the sun came up in its glory. clouds were just scattered. They had the very first wonderful sunshine day for the entire week. You know, these fishermen depend on fishing for the livelihood. And villages depend on their sustenance on the fishermen bringing the fish in. And these fishermen are feeling antsy. They're feeling like we need to go out. And a number of them went out. A large number of fishermen got in their boats and started going out. And the harbor master started ringing the bell, ringing the bell, ringing the bell. He said, guys, don't go out. He says, the storm cloud suggests that there's a storm on the way. A storm's coming. They said, ah, oh, there's no storm. Look at the sky clouds are scattering. The sun shines out. There's no storm coming. And he kept ringing the bell. Guys, don't go out. Guys, don't go out. Guys, don't go out. And the fishermen, their little boats would go out an hour outside the harbor. And as soon as they got there, weather conditions changed. Dark clouds started forming over the sky. Those dark clouds came in and a torrential storm equivalent to the one for the previous five days came along and that storm was so bad that every one of those men except for three lost their lives out in that water. Mr. Moody a preacher friend 70% of his church were the families of that fisherman can you imagine that pastor as he came to the pulpit that Sunday morning only three of the fishermen made it back alive a large number of them perished were lost to the storm because they didn't heed the warning the storm is coming you read Joshua they became complacent we find a repeat of that in the book of Judges the rest of Judges is about this one thought every man did that which is right in his own eyes disaster after disaster after disaster I'm going to encourage you this morning It's very easy for everyone, all of us, to become complacent. We could be in our full strength, be at ease, and die. Did you used to be fervent? Used to be active? Used to attend church more than Sunday morning? Used to serve the Lord? Used to give? Used to have a victorious Christian life? like Israel we got used to our surroundings it morphed us into it we became like our surroundings instead of our surroundings conforming to Christ we lost the zeal we left the love we lost the joy we lost the desire the remedy is very simple get up you're still a great people God still loves you. But get up. Do something you've never done before. Exercise some faith. Trust in God. Live out your life just like, like Caleb did and just like Joshua did. Go forward. Cut down some trees. Make a new path. Have faith in God. Father, this morning. What a divine caution. Right as they're starting to acquire the land. They had their portions, but they paused. And God, maybe without realizing it, Lord, we've put our life on pause. We're not as zealous like we used to be. We don't pray like we used to. We've forgotten how good you are to us. That the blessings of the Lord, it maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it. We've taken for granted the mercies of God and the protective hand of God. We've gotten to a place where, Lord, maybe we, like Joseph, we just thought, hey, we did it when God did it. And Father, in a loving way, I pray the Holy Spirit of God would speak to the, this congregation. Move us out of our indifference, our complacency, and consider diligently what how God describes it. That we not allow complacency be the silent killer of our Christian life, where it kills our prayer life, it, cares, it kills our productivity, our our fruitfulness, our influence, our edge for Jesus, going forward in faith. Father, forgive us this morning for complacency and help us, Lord, not to be complacent about how the Holy Spirit is speaking to us even right now. Be moved out of our complacency and to be moved forward and not backwards. To move towards God, to move back to the things we used to do. And just like Joshua gave a very simple prescription, he said, here's what you need to do. You're a great people and you have the power. Don't worry about the chariots. Don't worry about the Canaanites. Just go and conquer it help us this morning that we conquer what Satan is taking possession of. We've given place to the devil. Help us to take it back. Someone here today is not saved. I pray they not be complacent about the need for being saved. They make their way to the aisle this morning say, I need to get saved right now. I need Jesus to save me from my sins. Father, I pray this morning you move our hearts. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand very quickly. Would you stand please? with your heads bowed and I suppose Brother Vaughn singing do you need to come God moving you to be moved out of your complacency are you complacent about the Christian life just used to being the same way doesn't it stir you this morning that maybe you had a fire that was more than what you have now where's your fire how about your prayer time I mean just imagine this morning if things diminish instead of increasing are you claiming your portion or are you on pause if you push a button and you're on pause, you're just letting things happen. You're morphing to what you're around instead of you changing what you're around. Let me say this morning, how about we take some action this morning? And do like Joshua's. Joshua ca- cautioned them and challenged them to go forward. Why don't we go forward this morning? And then say, is there somebody here? You'd say, Pastor Fong, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know for sure how to be saved. You'd raise your hand and say, pray for me. I want to get saved today. Anyone like that today? And around the auditorium, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to get saved today. I need to get saved. Anyone like that? Father, this morning as we assemble around the auditorium, we're thankful today that, Lord, we have to be reminded that sometimes things, we put it on pause. We don't even realize it until catches up with us. Father, we pray you deliver us from being powerless, a loss of power, a loss of will, a loss of discernment, a loss of wisdom. And God, help us to just kind of re- recalibrate here, just like Joshua did with Joseph. Is Here's the solution. Here's the prevention. Go back and make a pathway. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. But go back and do it. Exercise some faith. Have faith in God. And Father, I pray this morning you stir up our faith and stir up our hearts that so we not allow ourselves to fall in this place of complacency but in the place where we're stirred up moving and going forth for Christ thank you Lord for loving us thank you that your opinion of us is that we're great people a people that God wants to bless work in our hearts we pray this morning even beyond today's service that just what we saw from the life of Joshua and these children of Israel would resonate in our hearts thank you for being good and gracious to us we pray all these things of you Lord in Jesus name Amen. Why don't you see it for a quick moment? Why don't you see the quick quickly a connect video and then has brother Din to come and lead us in closing prayer?